0: Okay, have you ever had the experience where you deserve something, but in the end, you were spared? Uh, did you ever do something wrong, and by some act of luck or fate, or God's intervention, you escaped the consequences of your action? You know, have you ever deserved punishment, but you were let off? You know, a situation where you heave a huge sigh of relief. Now, I remember when I was in primary school, I think I was probably three or four but it was such a traumatic event it seems to me like it was just yesterday <laughs> I was at school and uh, I was hitting my friend with a wooden ruler okay? and I think this was like the third day in a row that I was uh, using my ruler in an improper way and my teacher and I can still remember him I don't remember his name but he was a sort of a big fellow with coke bottle glasses he said, okay come, we're going to see the principal now and I remember walking all the way up the stairs, you know, far away back to the principal's office. And he made me stand outside the principal's office and I was standing there. I remember my legs were shaking, Uh, I was sweating, I had a bit of shallow breathing. I was thinking, what am I going to be punished with now? Now, I've never ever been taken to the principal's office. You know, will I be Cain in front of the school as an example, or maybe Cain in the principal's office. Maybe my mom will be called up. You know, what's going to happen to me? Anyway, for what seemed like a, a really long time, I was standing there outside the principal's office and the teacher came out, the one who cooked bottle glasses, and he said, go back to class, the principal is not here. And I thought, okay man, this is my lucky day, right? Now I wonder whether you've ever experienced something like that where you deserve to be punished and you were let off. Because today that's what we're looking at in uh, the passage, really the biggest let off in history. Because if you look at today's passage, and I think that's the benefit of reading the whole thing, uh, rather than going straight to the, the Last Supper, you'll see that the setting of uh, the event is really important. And I think that so many times we, we come to the Lord's Supper without understanding the setting. So what, where is this happening? What is the setting of the Lord's Supper? And obviously, if you look here in the passage, look at chapter 21, chapter 22, verse 1, it says, now, the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. right? And the chief priests and the teachers of law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. Okay, fine. Then in verse 7 and 8, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations to eat the Passover. And then chapter 22, verse 13, They've left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, Luke is not a Chonghe person. He's not a nagging person, some absent-minded person who keeps forgetting what he's saying. So there must be a reason why he keeps telling us this is the Passover, this is the Passover meal. Now for us uh, as uh, Singaporeans and uh, not Jewish people, we're not very familiar, what is the Passover? Okay, what does it mean, the Passover? Uh, we understand Passover to mean like, you know, you are due for a promotion and your colleague gets it instead in your Passover, Right? We understand where, you know, you go to McDonald's and you're next in queue and then some person cuts in front of you and you're passed over. Or maybe, you know, MRT is very full or the bus is very full and passes you over. But what does it mean, the Passover that they celebrate? Well, actually the Passover was like the National Day celebration of the Jewish people. So like for ourselves uh, in Singapore, when we celebrate the uh, the Passover, the National Day, right? What do we remember of the birth of Singapore as a nation? We remember that, you know, Singapore was separated from Malaysia. And we celebrate our national day by having a big parade, you know, at the Padang, well, not at the Padang anymore, but at the Marina Bay, and then we watch the fireworks, right? And it's all very natural, all very this But the birth of Israel, the Jewish nation, didn't come from a natural event, like a separation, but a supernatural event, and that's where the Passover comes in. And that's what we read earlier today in Exodus chapter 32, uh, chapter 12, isn't it? Because the Jews had been slaves in Egypt. And God had spoken to Pharaoh and the leaders of Egypt and said, Let my people go. I want them to be free so that they can go and be their own people in God's place in Israel, His promised land. But Pharaoh had refused to listen to God and God had sent ten plagues over and over again, one worse than the other, to forced Pharaoh to let his people go. And the, third, sorry, the last plague, the worst plague of all was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And Pharaoh had been told by God that if you do not let my people go, this is what I will do. I will kill the firstborn of everybody in Egypt, from the firstborn of the family, the firstborn of the servants, the firstborn of the animals. Now I want you to think of for a moment how traumatic that would be, isn't it? Because if the firstborn of everyone we know was killed, every one of us would be affected. Uh, I would be gone because I'm the firstborn of my family, right? Even if you have no children, your brother or your sister might be taken away. Uh, you know, if you have children, then the firstborn will be killed. If you have uh, animals, the firstborn will be killed as well. So this would be a terrible judgment on Egypt. But again, Pharaoh refused to listen to God, so God sent judgment on Egypt. But before he did that, what he did was, he told the Jews that they must take a lamb, a perfect lamb, a lamb without flaw or defect, no broken legs or skin disease, and they must slaughter and kill the lamb and take the blood of that lamb and paint it on their doorposts, right? Like someone said, that's where the Alongs get their inspiration from. Okay, So you get the blood and you paint it on the doorposts, of the house and that night when God's judgment came on all the people of uh, the land of Egypt whenever they, the, the, the angel or God's uh, judgment came on that house it would see the, the blood and it would pass over that house and instead it would kill those who did not have the blood on the doorpost so as a result uh, as you can go and read for yourself in the book Exodus uh, no adult, no child or no animal died among the Jewish houses, uh, but among the Egyptian houses, everyone, the firstborn died. It said that in all the Egyptian houses, there was weeping and wailing, but in the Jewish houses, not even a dog was barking. So for their national day, the Egyptians, sorry, not Egyptians, the Israelites celebrated uh, the, the great act of the Passover, which was the act with which God had forced Pharaoh's hand and led the people go to the promised land. So historically, this supernatural event ha- happened, uh, according to scholars, around 100 and 1446 BC. Okay, 144 BC. So for 1,500 years. So you fast forward to 30 AD, which is where Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And night after night, uh, you know, as they celebrate the Passover year after year what the head of the the house would do would be when they eat the Passover meal, they eat the unleavened bread, they eat the bitter herbs, they would remember what God did all those years ago in Egypt when he killed the firstborn of all Pharaoh's people. But today as we look at the passage, Jesus takes this Passover meal and as the head of the house, he changes the meaning of the Passover meal and instead of looking backwards as a national day, Uh, celebration, he looks forward to his death so look at what Jesus says on that very night where they had the Passover meal and remember the significance of the Passover meal this National Day Celebration meal right? so in verse 14 when the hour came when the hour came to eat the Passover meal Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and Jesus said to them I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal, this Passover with you, before I suffer. Now, by, by saying that Jesus is actually taking the Passover meal, and he's saying, look, I'm going to eat this meal, but I want to eat it before I suffer. Now, Jesus is uh, not saying that he's going to suffer because you know the, the, the lamb was not well cooked, so he's going to get a stomach ache or food poisoning tomorrow. But, but the idea of suffering, remember in the book of Luke, always points to his death. So, if you look up here in Luke chapter 9, remember when Jesus was acknowledged as the Christ, the Christ of God, what did he, what did he say was his mission? What did he say was his purpose in life? Well, in verse 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. So, when Jesus says, You know, I've I, I desired to eat this Passover meal before I suffer. It means that in the very near future, and of course we know for the very next day, he will go to his death, he will be killed. Okay? So, the Passover meal for Jesus is not something that he looks forward, looks backwards to the past, to the birth of uh, Israel, but rather he looks forward to his suffering. But there is more than that, because in verse 16, right, Jesus goes on to say, For I tell you, I will not eat it again, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is actually saying that the Passover meal doesn't just look forward to the very next day where he goes to the cross and dies, but actually is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when is the kingdom of God coming? When is the kingdom of God going to be here? We know that Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God, but we know that he will eat again when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. So really there are two points in which Jesus is looking at here at the Passover meal. He's looking at the cross when he suffers, but he's also looking at a point beyond the cross where he suffers, where the kingdom of God will come. So in Luke chapter 13, it says, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, Sorry, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? Jesus is saying that the Passover meal looks forward to his death the very next day, but it, it, it will find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God where they finally have a great feast and Jesus will eat again the Passover meal and drink wine. Now what does it mean then if you uh, look at this exactly what Jesus is saying And, and we have to pay attention to what Jesus is saying because it's sort of so deep and so profound, right? He says that I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That means that the Passover meal is not something which remembers what happened with the lambs in Egypt but it is actually looking forward to the kingdom of God because that is the whole purpose of the Passover. See, that first Passover in Egypt was actually looking to the birth of the Jewish nation where uh, the Passover lamb was killed and judgment passed over God's people. But really, the real meaning of the Passover is actually pointing to Jesus. That is only through Jesus and the Passover that we will find ourselves in the kingdom of God. The Passover meal points to the kingdom of God in its fullness. So that means that if you want to be in the kingdom of God, I hope that every one of us here wants to be in the kingdom of God, we have to eat the Passover meal too. Now the problem for us is obviously we're not Jewish people, so we don't eat unleavened bread, and we don't eat the Passover lamb, we only eat like lamb brownie, right? Okay? But Jesus doesn't have in mind the old Passover, but rather the Passover which points to the cross. Because if you understand the cross then you can go into the kingdom of God. It finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So, what does it mean that this Passover that Jesus is inaugurating? What does it mean, this new meaning of the Passover which points to the kingdom of God? Well, in verse 19 and 20, Jesus makes very clear what it means, right? So, Jesus then took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So what Jesus is saying is, he is the Passover lamb. Right? All the words there in verse, um, where are we looking at? In verse 19 and 20, are all words of substitution. Jesus substitutes himself for his disciples. That's why he says, This is my body given for for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for, for you. So just as the lamb was killed to save the firstborn of Israel, so Jesus is killed so that we will be saved. See, just as the lamb was killed so that judgment will pass over the people in the household, so Jesus is killed so that judgment will pass over us. See, the word there, body and blood, all mean death. If I say to you, I give my body to you, it literally means I, 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 I will give up myself, the whole of myself for you, isn't it? Uh, blood in the Bible is always the image of death. So if you look up here from the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, it says, The Lord said to uh, Cain, right, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Leviticus chapter 17. For the life of a creature is in its blood. I've given it to you to make atonement for you on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So Jesus is actually taking the Passover meal and saying, look, it's not a Passover lamb, which it remembers, but, but it's actually pointing to me, my my body and my blood which is given so that people will be able to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because Jesus is actually saying he's so much more superior than the Passover lamb. Because Jesus dies once and for all for all people in all times and all places. Whereas for the Jewish people, in every house they have to kill one Passover lamb. Remember, right? Right? But Jesus says, no, I will give my body and my blood so that for this one act on the cross, all people in all times and all places can have judgment pass over them. Now, I remember when I was younger, uh, the days before there were computers and internet, especially uh, handheld devices like Candy Crush. Right? In order to amuse yourself, you had to find various ways to do interesting things. So my parents bought me a sign set. Uh, in the hopes that uh, I'll have an interest in science unfortunately I became an accountant right so I didn't use much of the chemicals in the set but I did you find the magnifying glass really helpful because I will go onto the sun and when it was really hot I will use the magnifying glass to kill all the ants in my garden see you know, by focusing all the rays of the sun onto the ants and you can actually sort of see them like right, right, it's very, quite, quite amusing for quite a while and uh And I always think that that is the picture of what Jesus does on the cross, isn't it? Like he's like, God has taken this big magnifying glass and has focused all our sins, the sins of all of us in all time, the sins of of, uh, Paul Paul, the rapists, the murderers, the mass murderers, the killers, of all the people in the world, and he's focused it all on Jesus Christ on the cross. And because it is all poured out in Jesus on the cross, then for those people who put their faith in Jesus, there is no judgment or death or God's anger left for them. They are passed over in terms of God's judgment upon them. So what is Jesus really saying here? Well, the fundamental truth of this last meal is, is, is so, so broad, isn't it? Jesus is going to die on the cross. The Passover meal is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It is a sacrifice where Jesus dies, he gives his body and his blood, so that you and I would be let off. We would be passed over God's judgment. So then how should we be saved? If this is the fact of what Jesus does at the Passover meal, if this is what he does at the cross, then the most logical and sensible thing to do is to accept Jesus there for us. Can you imagine if some Jewish person in 1446 BC, said, oh no, it's okay, I know God's judgment is coming, I don't need to kill the blood, uh, the lamb, I don't need to paint blood on my door, I can survive God's judgment myself. Wouldn't that be such a ridiculous thing to do? Because God had already said, kill the lamb, put the blood there, so that God, the angel, God's angel will pass over you in judgment. Well, here again, God has said, look, I've given you my son so that all your sins can be paid for, so all of your judgment can be passed over, so all of my wrath is passed over. Is it then silly of us to say, well, we don't need Jesus, I can save myself, I'm a very good person. See, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But rather we should accept Jesus, the Passover lamb, who gave his body and blood for ourselves. Now, you might sort of think to yourself, okay, the sermon's over, but for those of you who are looking at outline, you realize that it's not, but if you actually look at this passage, you see that the, the, la, the Last Supper of Jesus is sandwiched uh, between, I guess, various accounts of the disciples' reaction to Jesus during this really critical period of his life. So, right at the very beginning, we are told of Judas, and Judas, uh, obviously, is one of the twelve apostles. And it says there, in verse 3, then Judas, sorry, Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And uh, Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus and they were delighted and agreed to give him money. Now, I think that the the passages which sandwich the the Last Supper of Jesus really tell of the faith, the importance of faith uh, with those who follow Jesus. Because the invitation that Jesus has is put faith on me, right? Keep following me, continue to keep faith in what I've done in the cross. But as you can see, right from the very beginning, we see that actually there is a spiritual battle involved. Uh, here, Satan is mentioned for the very first time as in direct opposition to Jesus and his th- uh, disciples since uh, Luke chapter 4. Okay? Now why is it that uh, um, uh, Luke tells us about Satan entering Judas. Why doesn't he say, oh, Judas was very greedy for money, so he decided to betray Jesus? Because the reality is, Satan, right from the very beginning, has been operating in order to destroy Jesus and his disciples. In fact, if it was Satan, he'd be very happy if uh, today we forgot all about the death of Jesus as our Passover lamb. So what do we learn from this section? What do we learn about Judas' betrayal, what do we learn for ourselves? How do we stop ourselves from being like Judas in terms of betraying Jesus and denying the faith and losing our salvation? Well, obviously, as we can see from Judas, he allowed Satan to come into his body because he was greedy and he allowed himself to be used by Satan and to deny Jesus. But look at what happens after uh, in verse uh, verse, uh, 31. Because Satan was not just interested in destroying uh, Judas. He was interested in destroying all 12 of the apostles, isn't it? So in verse 31 it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Now I know that uh, in some of your translations it just says you, right? But the you there is actually a plural. It means all of you. It's not just you, you, Simon, but all of you. Because Simon was the leader of the disciples. Simon, Simon, Satan asked, has asked to sift all of you as wheat. He wants to destroy them all. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and that when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Okay, those are big words, right? So is, is Peter a big man? Well, according to verse 34, Jesus says not. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. So what is happening here is, again, we see Satan is in the picture and Satan wants to destroy not just Peter, but all the disciples. So Satan is actively and aggressively trying to make the disciples lose their salvation, to lose Jesus and to lose their Passover lamb. So what does Jesus do? He prays for Simon. And what exactly does he pray for? He prays, if you look carefully, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, <clears throat> Jesus himself knows that Peter will deny him three times. But Jesus prays that even as he denies Jesus, his, his faith, it says, will not fail. That means he will stumble but he'll stand up again. He'll trip up, but he'll keep following Jesus. He'll be weak, but then he will still not give up his faith. See, that's the theme, I think, as we look at the last part of this uh, section that we're studying today, that we need to keep asking God to help us with our faith. Because we are in a supernatural struggle. If you just say to yourself, I will hold on to Jesus all by myself because I'm a very, very disciplined person, I'm very, very intense and focused on Jesus, then that's exactly what Satan wants to hear, isn't it? But rather we see that Jesus prays to God that even as Peter denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter will still go on and hold on to Jesus and be saved and also be used by Jesus to strengthen the other disciples. In verse 39, it is not Jesus who prays, but the disciples who pray for themselves. In verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then obviously, Jesus then prays to his Father, but we're not going to look at that at the moment. You, You can look at that in your Bible study groups. In verse 45, when Jesus rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now what is the temptation that Jesus had in mind here? The temptation was obviously the temptation that Satan was going to put before them just as he put before Peter, that they would be destroyed by Satan, that their faith will be lost, that they would lose their salvation, they would lose their faith in the past over land. So let me ask you, do you realize that you are in a supernatural uh, battle, in terms of your faith? That you are saved in a supernatural way, because Jesus died for you? It is not just our struggle, it is not just our energy, we need to call on God to keep our faith strong. That even if we stumble today, we stumble tomorrow, we stumble next week, that we will never give up our faith in Jesus. As we can see, even if Peter denies Jesus three times, he can still come back to Him. Why? Because he is strengthened by the prayer of Jesus. Now, when was the last time you prayed? And I mean not give thanks for dinner or lunch, right? When was the last time that you prayed? And when you prayed, what did you pray for? Did you pray for your health? Maybe that, you know, that your your your, your whatever physical ailment went away or did you pray for your job? Or did you pray for some financial thing or did you pray for your exam results or some relationship? When was the last time you prayed to God that you would not fall into temptation, that you would not deny Jesus, that you would have a strong faith and that you would not fall? Jesus himself, uh, I don't have it up here, but you all can remember the Lord's Prayer, right? As we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? We pray that we will not fall into temptation, isn't it? Because God knows that we need his help to continue on in our faith and trust in Jesus, our Passover lamb. See, many years ago, I remember when the prayer of Jabez was really, uh, you all remember the prayer of Jabez? It was this prayer where apparently if you prayed it 50 days in a row, you would get uh, the an answer to your prayers, and the, basically the prayer was that Jabez had asked for God to enlarge his territory, so if you pray that God will enlarge your territory as in your job or your car or your house or your career or your brains or your results, God will answer it. Now, I know quite a few people who prayed that prayer, but I think that uh that prayer is asking for the wrong thing, isn't it? because you you could get, could get all the things that uh, you ask God for, that maybe God did enlarge all these things for you or maybe actually Satan enlarged all these things for you because certainly uh, Ju- Judas enlarged his, uh, his bank account, right? But then maybe we're not praying for the right thing, isn't it? Uh, maybe, yeah, you can pray for God to enlarge all these things but what was the thing that was really most important to Jesus? What was really important to G- Jesus was that they would not fall into temptation and that they would not fall and that they would not deny Jesus. So I hope that as we look at today's passage, we will see just, you know, I hope that, I mean, just in a small way, you can understand just how significant Jesus' death is. That, you know, you know, some people say, oh, Jesus just accidentally went to the cross and died. No. On the night before he died, he already knew he was going to die, and he understood the meaning of his death was sort of prophesied 1,500 years ago with the Passover lamb. That what God did in a small way for his people when he freed his people from Egypt, he was going to do for the whole world when Jesus went to the cross to die. That all of us need to be let off from judgment. All of us need to be passed over judgment. But all of us can only gain the benefits of Jesus' death if we have faith, if we have trust, if we believe in what Jesus did for us. And we can only continue in that if we pray to God, give us strong faith, you know, help us to fight and resist the temptation to deny Jesus, whether it be from the pleasures of this world or whether it be from the hardships of this world. But let us keep going on in our faith. So I hope that all of us will continue to pray, not just today, not just in church, right when we're led in prayer, but for ourselves, day after day, year after day, till Jesus comes. Dear Father, lead us not to temptation. Keep our, our faith strong. Let us not ever deny Jesus as our Passover lamb. Okay, let's go to God in prayer now. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see the true meaning of Jesus going to the cross. That in going to the cross, He gave His body, He gave His blood, He gave it all to take our judgment upon Him so that we will be passed over, we will be let off of judgment and you're off. Help us to see that there is no other way that we can be saved but to rely on the cross of Jesus. Dear Father, we pray for ourselves that our faith will never ever turn cold, that our faith would always be strong, that even if we are like Peter, even if we stumble, even if we are weak at times, that we will never turn away but continue on, that we will get up, that you will strengthen us in our faith so that we will continue to press on even through disappointments and our own weaknesses. Dear Father, we pray for ourselves that we will see the great importance of faith above everything else, that our prayers will always be filled with a desire to want to be strengthened and to put aside all sorts of idols or distractions that Satan puts in front of us. We pray that we will never bow down or worship or trust anything else but Jesus and what He has done for us on the cross. And we pray for all these things in His name. Amen.